A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In case you missed my incredible episode with Lori McKenna, who is one of the greatest songwriters of our generation, she's written so many songs for Faith Hill, Tim McGraw. She wrote Humble and Kind for Tim McGraw, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. What a message that we all need to hear and know. She's just such a thoughtful, poetic writer, and the way that she crafts her songs together touches my soul and everyone's soul in such an incredible way. So I want to revisit that episode and and let you guys hear it in case you missed it. So here is Lori McKenna. This is a big treat for me to get to be talking to the legend, Lori McKenna. (laughs) (laughs) Legend, that's not true at all. Come on. It is such a truth. And Lori, I've been obsessed with you for so long, as the world has been, but you were so nice to us. When I was in a band, Stealing Angels, you let us come right with you. And we got to stay in Boston and like hang out with you and write so many amazing songs. And I felt just beyond cool to be in your presence like that it was so fun too like literally I think you guys are like one of the first like bands that came here you know what I mean like um and we had we had a ball I remember those times like so lovingly and I think Michael sent you flowers and do you remember that (laughs) yeah he's so nice sweet I'm like who is this boy you're dating (laughs) and your neighbor like when we're there your neighbor made us like a big spaghetti dinner and we all hung out with the neighborhood yeah and the fire my neighbor across the street Patty and John she's an amazing cook oh my god and you guys say remember you sang in her living room yeah yes yeah she like she made us meatballs or something and she's an uh, she's unbelievable we have great neighbors we're so lucky on the street like we we are so lucky in this neighborhood but we have great neighbors and john's a firefighter and i still have pictures of you guys sitting on the fire truck 
Did you know yeah. that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know what I really love about life, and I think you do such an amazing job of putting this into songs, and I think that's why people are so obsessed with your words and your music. I love how life just – it's just this evolution and this full circle, and it's like – like. Well, that was what, 10 years ago that I met yeah. you. And now just to see how life evolves and how we're all in different places, but it's just like this thread that runs through. I don't even know how to describe it. Like how to like capture these feelings that you feel in life, but you capture like moments and put them into songs. And I think that's what makes you so amazing. Like you capture like little tiny moments and make them these big feelings. I think that's why we all like country music though. You know what I mean? And, like those lyrics and songs that we love like that are just like, you can see yourself in them or your neighbor in them or your, you know what I mean? Your sister in them. And I think that's why, like, I think we, I think most people identify, like when they can identify with the song or the genre, you know, they find their place in it somehow. That's, um, that's one thing that always drew me in is that those furniture, those pieces, you know, those details where you like, Oh yeah, I know that what that looks like. And then you see yourself there. Um, but those are always my favorite things. And we live, we live extraordinary lives. All of us do every single person. And we are, live among like amazing people. It's just that nobody, you know, maybe nobody's going to make a movie, write a book about Patty and John, but their kids would like, you know what I mean? Like to, to their people, to me, she is, I've known Patty since high school. Like she's a, she's an amazing woman, like flat out amazing woman. And so I love, that's what I love about country music. You know, Michael is obsessed with your song witness to your life. <laughs> He plays that song all the time. Like he's obsessed with you in general, but like that song, he just thinks is the most beautiful song. And it's basically talking about how you will be the witness to, is it to your kids and your husband? I don't know who exactly you. Yeah. It's, it's like a wedding song, a little bit of a wedding song in that like, I'll be, yeah, I'm here for you. Like I'll, you, you will exist. Because I'll be watching it and making it so, which is what we do for one another anyway, you know? So talk to me a little bit about your incredible start as this phenom. Like you've always had the talent, but you got discovered in a big way, like quickly. Like you were writing and performing in Boston, mm -hmm. but then you were just discovered fast and that was it. So how did, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think it was, um, the, it was, it, it doesn't seem as like the fastness. So it was my introduction to Nashville really. Cause it was, I was probably on, I made a record called bitter town, which I don't know what number that was, but it was probably my fourth, maybe fifth record here in Boston. And, um, at that point, you know, my, my big kids were super little and, um, touring has always not been really that easy. Well, it's not easy for anybody touring, but it's, it really just was like going to be really difficult with, with a bunch of little kids. Um, when I made Bittertown, David was born. My son, David was born like two weeks later. Wow. Or days later. Um, so like after it came out, so Bittertown 16 years old now, but when that record, um, a friend, Mary Gaucher, gave it to a publisher named Melanie Howard in Nashville. And I had been to Nashville one time. I played the Bluebird one time. And 
uh, like five years earlier and it like just set in my bones, Nashville did. Like I just loved it. My husband loved it. We're like, we have to go back there. We have to figure out how to get back to Nashville. Like no idea how to like, how I even got the show I got. Like I was in a writer's round and I don't know how I even landed that to be honest. Like somebody must have done, somebody must have like called in sick or something. I'm not sure how that all happened, but, um, but I put out Bitter Town. Mary gave it to Melanie Howard. Melanie gave it to Missy Gallimore and Missy Gallimore um, find songs for Faith Hill. So Faith ended up with the song. So that record came out in May of 2004. And um, by Thanksgiving of that year, she cut like three, three or four songs off that record. And then her record Fireflies came out the following year. And the thing was, so it was just like this whole like chasing. Faith had finished her album. Like she redid her album to put your songs on it. Yeah, I think they were still, there was like this magical point where they hadn't like definitively decided what that record would have been. You know what I mean? And like, it was like enough time that they could go back in. And I remember getting a phone call like on Thanksgiving, like Faith cut the songs, Faith. And I was like, what? Like none of this, like I had only been there like by that point, like maybe one other time. And my husband's like, you have this publisher calling you and telling you what? Like, I don't know about this. Like none of this, (laughs) it's like, it's a possibility. But it was. And then so, so yeah, so my introduction to Nashville was really fast. And it was like... And the top of the top. <laughs> and yes, like you couldn't have asked for, on so many levels, I could not have asked for a better artist to, to like my music because just like on every level possible, but the way she, the way that Faith cut the songs and the, and how true she was to to like to me like she just like I think we just have something in common along the lines of like being a woman and being like just a person in the world and being a mom and and those things that she saw in me and but just like every everything after that has been just a a, a surreal one surreal moment after another and then of course like it's funny because now it's like so many years later and and I talked to like classes like a like I had a, a zoom meeting with a songwriting class a couple of weeks ago and I'm like well I'm not gonna say that I didn't like work my butt off too once I had that once I had that opportunity like if you if somebody opens a door for you like that you have to step through it and you have to do the work and you have to um, like even in the times when you don't believe in yourself yet, you have to, you have to have faith in the people that do believe in you and, and try to step up to what they think you're capable of if you don't know you are yet and all those things had to happen. But, but that was all just like icing on the cake at that point, because it was, it was such a gift. It was such a, a blessing that that happened to me. You know, I just sort of got these random things that just like Obviously, you have this talent, and I do believe that if you are as talented as you are, or someone equal to your talent who maybe isn't in one of the mecca cities where all of that is happening, I do think you will get discovered ultimately. I, I just think you have to. If you have that kind of talent oozing out of you, someone's gonna find it somehow. I, th- mm-hmm. I mean, I feel that way. So I feel like yeah. this is destiny ultimately. I feel like. Well, the thing about me is I know so many, and we both do, we know so many writers that are great writers that, that doesn't, you know, Faith Hill does not call them up, you know, like somebody doesn't call and say, Hey, Faith Hill wants to cut your songs. Like, 
so my story is really unique in that way. That really was a gift. It really was yeah. like this piece of luck that fell in my lap um, by the grace of God, really. But um, I, because I know so many talented songwriters that. But I think that it's it's a number game. It's like at the end of the day, like if you write a song that affects five people, isn't it still, isn't it still a good song? Like, isn't it still like, wasn't it still worth your time and your craft of putting that song together and singing that for somebody that you made cry in Patty's living room, but maybe nobody else heard it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just like, I think if we get too stuck on the number game, we the, the blessing that we all, um, the, the, the value that I put on it was like, I could always, because I had the success, it, it gave me, it opened the door for me to just continue to be able to do music versus, you know, get to that point in my career where it's like, is this working at, you know, if I'm not helping pay the bills, if I'm not, you know, if I can't provide for my kids, if I can't, you know what I mean? Have the life that, um, that makes my family comfortable, you know, um, then I might have to find, figure out what else to do. I think there's probably lots of people that write great songs that share them with their grandchildren, but it's still a great song. It's just that we all don't know it yet, you know? That's true. So yeah. I want to talk about what you just said, though. You said it's a gift. Why do you think those moments happen to people in their lives, like, like magical gift moments that change the course of your whole life? Where do you think that comes from, and why do you think those happen? Yeah, I just totally think it's a, it comes from a higher power. I really do. Like, it sounds, even songs, I think, can come from that way. Like, sometimes we can't take all the credit for a song even. You know, like, they just come out of, like, the sky. You know, like, watching Hillary Lindsay sing the beginning part of Girl Crush. Like, I've seen it happen where you're like, oh, my God, like, how do they just do that? You know, and it's, and Hillary's a genius, as we both know. but there was some magic there. There was, I just think it's a higher power. I don't know how you get so lucky to fall, to, to be, to be there with your arms open when, when it falls, but when it does, you have to, you catch have to it. honor it and catch it. Yeah, for sure. So you've had some, after you said you get the gift, you get the opportunity, you have to step through the door. I totally agree with you. You have to do the work. It's not nothing. Yes. You might get a great opportunity, but you got to keep it going. Mm -hmm. You've had so much magic happened in your life due to your hard work and your talent. But like you had one, two songs of the year with girl crush and humble and kind, a two of the best songs ever written humble and kind. I mean, that song <laughs> makes me weepy. Lori, that song is just like the perfect <laughs> song for how to live your life. Like, wh how do you do that? Because you craft it. And I know you are in your group, The Love Junkies, which is, is it you and Liz Rose and uh, Hillary, Hillary Lindsay? Lindsay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, just three of the best songwriters in town. You know, no big deal. <laughs> but I know y'all come together on a lot of these. How do you make something so profound yet so simple? Like that to me is the art. Like it's so big in the message, but it's so simple in the delivery so everyone can digest it. I mean, that to me is what is just amazing. Well, yeah, the thing, like I said about Girl Crush is I just, I just had the title. I didn't know what that song should be about. I didn't know if it should try to be tempo, which 
obviously I'm not good at tempo anyway, but Hillary's really good at it. Um, and Liz is too, but, um, I pitched that title to Liz and Hillary and Hillary sang the first four lines of that song, like exactly as they are. They just come and out. She, she literally, and then she said, do you mean like that? She said, I got a girl crush. Hate to admit it, but I got a heart rush. Ain't slowing down. And then she looked at me. She's like, you mean like that? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, that sounded good. Like, and that song was was really unique. I, I so wish I had a video or, or like a recording of her singing that because it literally just came out exactly that way. And, um, and she didn't even know what she was saying. She didn't know what she was playing yet. She was playing these bar chords. And, um, and what the, the smart thing that we did that day, uh, so Hillary has a stroke of magic we're lucky enough to be in the room when it happens and we followed the song we didn't like we didn't say wait a minute nobody's gonna cut this like this is like does it make sense we did wonder if it made sense enough sense like we were trying to be like are other people gonna get this idea because we knew it was about jealousy we knew it was that woman talking about her man with another woman and and all that but we didn't worry about like, is anybody going to play this on the radio? And of course, ultimately they did, which was shocking to us, to be honest, because it's, it's a ballad. It's six, eight. It's like, it's kind of like you have to pay attention and figure out what's going on. But if we it's did all that, a woman singing about a girl crush, it's like edgy in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't even think of like, Oh, this is tricky. Like we just thought, Oh, we just figured out a new way by mistake to, to talk about jealousy. Like how we, like that extreme, you know, every a song is like three and a half minutes long. You have to like take it right to the extreme so somebody can feel the emotion in it. And I think if we had stopped ourselves and said, well, wait a minute, let's really like, let's make sure that, that this is, that this isn't gonna, you know, that this is really going to come across carefully. So people don't have to really listen to get it. And if we did that, it wouldn't have been as good. You know what I mean? And at that point, I think we just figured nobody's ever going to cut the song. We just wrote it for ourselves. But, and then with Humble and Kind, I wrote that for my kids. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I knew I might get in trouble for hold the door, say please, say thank you. But at the time I had a 10 year old and it was like, I was telling, you know, I was repeating those things as you do with your kids, like over and over and over again. And I wanted it to be really elementary. And for him, because I was still at that stage with him with wash your hands. Did you shut the door? What do you, you know, did you make your bed? And so I, those two examples are just like two different, two, I guess, very different ways. But the idea of it staying simple um, was, was in the act of following the song. So when you say following the song, I, I love the way you say that. What? how do you follow the song? How do you let the song lead? Like, how do you chase a song? I think that for me, like what I've learned is like, you have to, um, and I, and I've seen lots of people do this in co-writes and I think it's, it's not something that is difficult or not something that shouldn't happen in a co-write, but sometimes you just have to be silent. Like you said about life, like living in the moment, sometimes you have to just live in the song you know, for, for a little while and play it over. For me, I have to play it over and over again. I have to see if like the word will pop out over the melody at the right time. 
you know, like what for years and years and years, I wrote songs by myself and I, I didn't co-write until I had a publishing deal. And, and the way I would write alone all the time is, was just mumble, like play and mumble, like just mumble a melody, but no words. And, um, when you can find the words and the melody at the same time, I think it's always, that's always the best way to, to get there. So I think for, for me, when I mean following the song, it's like, don't, don't try to start editing it for other people that aren't in the room yet. You got to stay in the room and, and sit with it. And if you, for me, and I know some people that are really good at this, but for me, if I start thinking, well, what does so-and-so need? What's on, what, what do these people want? What, what's on radio right now? Like, oh, I can't, like, I just, it just makes me magic. Yeah. Yeah. For me. And I know people that are really good that way. And I really admire that, but I'm just not very good that way. Do you feel like since you did write for so long by yourself, do you feel like you write better when you're super comfortable with your co-writers so you can just sort of have your process and not have to feel like expose your process in a way that you don't have to like worry if they're like, if they have a different process, like being known in a songwriting room. Does that help you? Like of how I you write? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that I've been I've been lucky enough about. Like I did have so many years of because I didn't co I don't think I co-wrote a song until I was probably 35, 34, 35. Um, so that's a long time because I you know most of us start as teenagers, so that's a long time. And I also had so many years before I didn't put out a record until I was 28. I started writing when I was 13, so I had so many years before even singing my own songs that nobody was going to hear these songs. So you don't learn to edit for other people when you're just writing for yourself. And lucky enough, you're better off not editing for other people when you're writing songs. So I just had so long with that. The other thing that I'm blessed with is I'm the youngest of six kids. So I'm used to always being wrong and I'm used to always saying the dumbest thing in the room. So, um, so I'm not afraid to like, like this happens to me all the time where I say something so dumb, but it makes the other person, it bring like, it will change. You know what I mean? Like spark something. Even if it's just out of anger or out of being like, how that's the worst line I ever heard. <laughs> it somehow sparks something uh, in somebody else. And that I've seen that happen many times. And uh, it's that whole dare to suck thing. You know, when you're trying to be vulnerable and creative in, in a group of people, you cannot, you can't really be that creative without being vulnerable. So you have to be like, guys, I know this isn't it, but is there a way, should we just discuss the fact? that maybe this should happen. And at the end of the day, maybe it isn't that at all, but it made a discussion start, you know? And, um, and then, so I think those two things, <laughs> those two, th you know, that where I sit in my family and all that time by myself as a writer helped me in the room in that way. What is it like playing with magic every day? Because to me, that's what songwriting is. It's just literally trying to harness magic. What is that like? You're like a wizard. No, I'm like you're like grasping it. You're gathering it. You're like like literally like turning something out of thin air. No, I mean I really I literally have so many. Well, with all this, you know, with life being um, on Zoom so much now, I've been writing every day, which I never ever ever have done, um, and I've sort of been taking the weekends off, but writing almost every day. 
And at, in the beginning of all this, I didn't really like it because I'm not an everyday writer. But now I'm sort of, it's like, you know, like, um, I was going to compare it to working out, but I know nothing about working out, but <laughs> so to stop myself right there, but, um, but there is some sort of muscle, you know, to it. And, um, and I think that the zoom writing, which is difficult sometimes, but also awesome sometimes what I had to decide early on. And I've talked to many of my friends about this, that we're just zoom writing all the time now that there's going to be days with people you write your best friends that you write with that you just can't get a song that day. Like, and this is true of just being alone as a writer. Like there's days where I'll walk around the house and I'll check every guitar. I'll check the piano, even though I can barely play it. Like there just isn't a song in the cards for me that day. Um, and you can't beat yourself up about that. Some days it's just not gonna come. And then other days you're gonna be making dinner and you're gonna have to like put everything down and be like, sorry, somebody else has to do this. Like I have to go, you know, I have to go try to pick at this for a minute. Like it just, I think that, that when the inspiration or the creativity or the muse or whatever you wanna call it like lands on you, you're not gonna, you're gonna miss it sometimes because because of life, because you're a human and you have to, you know, you have all these other things, but on the days when that hits you and you're available and you can move things around and make it happen, like the, that's when all the magic happens, you know what I mean? Because you were lucky enough to be able to sit in the moment, as you said, and, 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 and be there for it as much awesome. as it is for you. I love, I love the way you put it. It's like, it's its own being really like the song is its own little, life form you just have to catch it yeah i mean i've had songs where i just can't get it i just cannot and um i think years ago i would have beat myself up about it or written it just to get it over like just to get it like off of my chest and now as i get older i realize well it's just not ready yet or i'm not ready for it yet you know, I'm sure you've written songs where you'll go back later on and listen to it like that you haven't listened to in a long time and you'll go back later and you're like, wow, I didn't even feel that yet. But I feel it now, but I, I didn't even know what I was writing about. I haven't, didn't even have that experience really yet. And now I understand what I, like what I was trying to tell myself or what the song was trying to tell me. And I don't mean to be like all weird about like songs or these. No, I agree. But there's a little piece of all that in it. So what was it like when you got scooped up by Faith Hill and then all of a sudden you're like going to play the Oprah Winfrey show with her and then <laughs> next you're like on Soul to Soul tour with Tim and Faith. Like what does that feel like going from just writing songs for yourself, making albums for yourself to now you're on this big scale? Like how do you, how do you comprehend that? It was really, it was, um, you know, especially looking back on it now, it was really, I was really, really lucky that I sort of, um, I had the people around me that sort of um, made sure that none of it um, went to my head, which it probably wouldn't have anyway, to be honest. But, you know, when, uh, at that point we had five, we had the five, all five of the kids and somebody's always, you know, like I always used to say, like, they just, the kids just want to know what's for dinner. <laughs> they just want to know when you're coming home. And what's for dinner? Like your kids, you cannot impress your children, no matter what. Like I, I have tried. There's been very few moments where I've actually won my children over with my music. It's not, it's just not, 
they're never going to see me that way. Like that, but they see me exactly as they should, I think, you know, as their mom. But, um, I think that's a huge, that's a huge, like just grounding factor that I, that I always had was, um, you know, that, that they are the most important thing because they know me as myself and I know that, and my job is to know them as they are. And, um, it really would, you know, balance, I get out of balance. Sometimes I get, you know, I, I'll lean too much in one direction or another sometimes, but I never really lean too much in the family direction. You know, like you can't ever really say like, oh, I took care of my family too much last year. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't, it doesn't, nobody really ever says that. Nobody's going to ever really look back and be like, so I've been really lucky because as an artist and putting out records, as I do, I'm on, I'm on a scale where touring would still be, um, really like a a losing, like I'd sort of lose too much in touring at that level. I am only being able to tour as much as I do. So I'm really lucky that I have the publishing because it sort of keeps that side of things going for me. And when I moved over to Beth Laird, who's my manager years ago, um, she kind of reminded me that I need the artist piece of what I do because it helps me. It helps me with my writing piece, which is, I know they're different, but to me, they, they don't seem that different because, because the artist side of what I do um, helps the songwriter in me because I'll be in the middle of a song, even with a band or with somebody else and, and think, well, would I want to sing this every night? Like, right. If, if you have three songs to sing, opening up for somebody, is this the song you're going to want to sing? Like, is this good enough for that? You know what I mean? And, um, and other, other things too, but I've been really lucky, you know, um, every time I do get out of balance, somebody forgives me. So <laughs> I mean, don't we all get out of balance though? It's hard to, it's hard to balance at all. And something that I admire about you, I just interviewed Sarah Evans and Caitlin Smith and I know you and Caitlin oh. Smith, you wrote, you wrote, did you write Supernova with her? No, I wrote The Bird and the Rifle with her. Oh. I've written a bunch with Caitlin, <clears throat> but I love, yeah. I love them both so much. She's so, so much. great. And both of them are like you in the way that y'all are mothers, wives, artists, and musicians and it's just like I feel like that is a lot for one woman to take and like in the past like we it would have been hard it, it felt like it was hard to like be able to do all those things and women were more it was harder for women to have all of these roles but now it's like no women can do all of these roles they can thrive at all of these roles they can be unapologetic about all of these roles sometimes the balance will probably get off a little bit but you mm -hmm. don't have to sacrifice what your talent and what your passion is just because you want to be a great mom and a great wife. Like sometimes one of the pieces might not get as much attention as the other, but you can always swing it back around, you know, and you yeah. can always make it come back into an, a flow that works for you. And I just, but I admire that because I feel like so many of us as women really have offerings that we want to give into the world. And it's amazing to have examples like yourself who are showing us, okay, here's how, you can do it. Like, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work. I'm sure there's times where you're really stressed, but like you don't mm -hmm. sacrifice your personal desire and passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky to be living in a time where that's all possible. Cause obviously generations ago, 
it wouldn't, you know, it really wouldn't be in, in the cards. And then you look at people that did it, um, you know, even back in the day. I th it's funny because now I watch Caitlin and even though I know David was, my son David was just born when I, when I did, sold, when we did Soul to Soul, David was, was two, he was almost three and, uh, or he had just turned three and he came out with us and, you know, Megan, my daughter came out with us. My oldest, my two youngest came out with us for that tour. But I watch Caitlin now and I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, what's going on? How is this possible? But it's like, dude, well, I guess I did it too. But it's, when you're in it and you probably get like, you don't realize like you're in it. When your kids are little, it is a it is a thing. Like my youngest is 16. So I like looking back, I don't know how I did to be honest, any of it. But when I look at Caitlin, I don't know how she's doing it either, but she's doing it. And I think that's what we all do. We all just get through it the best we can with smiles on our faces. Like with all those magic moments, like you said, that happened to us as moms or, or that's why I love things like this. I love following people on social media that like grasp those moments, you know, like of remember just one time writing a letter to somebody about watching my youngest kid eat a pancake. Like I just like, he was sitting on the floor, like eating a pancake. And I, I the joy of watching him like for 10 minutes straight, sit on the floor, like cross. -legged. It, feel? it was just like, I will never forget that moment. It was just like, I felt like I got life for a minute. Because he was just in the moment of eating the pancake and he yeah. was playing it so much. Yeah, he was just being himself. But I was like conscious of watching him be himself. But you're like that. You are conscious, conscious, I cannot say the word, conscious. I can't say it either. <laughs> you are conscious of watching life. Why, why is that? Where did that come from? Because not everyone takes in life like you do. Where did it come from that you pause and take notice well, of what's happening? Well, I think it might be just luck, to be honest, but also as a songwriter, that's part of our craft. You know, we have to learn how to do that. I, I think songwriters get distracted sometimes, you know, when you're talking like to a friend that you grew up with or something and they say something that sounds like a lyric, you're like, you know, you get the eyes like, oh, that's, that was really good. <laughs> Should I write that down? Should I, let me go write that down for a minute. I'll be right back. Um, but, but we also like, those things don't rush by us, you know? And for me, myself, to be honest, you know, I always like would talk to other women about traveling and things like that. My travel, like my sister it works for a big company and she travels as much as I do, if not more. But her life is, she, my travel and my time away is, is meant to be creative. Like I'm, I'm pressing that, I'm there to press that button and not just like be a work, like just working, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's work, but it's a different, it's a, it's a, it's a luxurious work really when it comes to like, when you, when you look at your friends and me, I look up to my sister so much cause she balances so much and she, you know, has this really important job of numbers and, you know, all these things that I don't understand at all. And, and, she, and watching her do her juggling um, is to me so much more impressive than the way I feel about anything that I'm doing because I'm doing something that I'm so passionate about that I know that I'm so lucky to be able to do. And she loves her job too, but it's like for, to, 
like when you know you're lucky enough to be able to do something that feeds your soul on all different levels, then it's easier to stay, I think, maybe in the moment. But I don't always stay in the moment either. <laughs> I get lost a lot. <laughs> you catch the moments, which I love. And like, okay, so your latest album, I'm going to say it wrong, Balladeer? Yeah, the Balladeer, yeah. Is it about ballads? Well, I think like it, I saw that word, I saw the word the balladeer somewhere, you know, the back in the day, I think a balladeer would most, mostly be considered like a, maybe a man, like just singing ballads, like someone that tends to sing ballads, which is me in a way. The song isn't about me at all, which is funny because it ended up going somewhere else. But I just love that title and sort of chase that song. But it comes out in July, the record. Yeah. And a song that you've already released, though, is When You're My Age, <clears throat> and it's about your kids. Yes. Tell me about that, how that came about, because it's another one of those, like, just heartstring songs. That song is funny because, um, so I wrote that with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay, and it was one, it was a song that I tried to write at home by myself for maybe like over a month. And that, that's unusual for me because I'll usually let things go if they're not working. Like I'll, I'll just like put them on the back burner and think it's, I'm, I'm not ready for this. It's not, something's wrong or it's not my time for this song. And um, I had the first verse and the last verse of that song and I couldn't figure out how to get a chorus and I couldn't make it, to be honest, like I think it would even be sadder if left to my own devices. And um, I brought it to, the reason I wrote the song, I started the song, as I heard David Letterman in an interview talking to, it was actually an interview with Howard Stern he was doing and he said, my son's 14 years old, what's the world gonna be like when he's my age? And I just thought, oh my God, like, that's amazing. Like, you know, and that's where when you're my age, you know, when you're my age came from. So I couldn't do it by myself. I brought it <clears throat> to Liz and Hillary and I played them the first verse. And Hillary was like, nope, <clears throat> we're, you gotta do that by yourself. And Liz started singing the chorus. Like she just started singing the chorus. And we had no hook. We couldn't figure out how to end the chorus. And then Hillary found the, you know, when you're all grown up and you don't feel that way. You're, and she literally said, she's like, this is dumb. But you could say, you know, when you're all grown up and you don't feel that way, you're still going to be my baby even when you're my age. And we were all like, what? <laughs> Waterworks. We're like, and we all started crying like as soon as she said it. And she didn't know. Like it was like she said it out loud before she knew if it was smart or not smart like she that's the thing that's where you have to live and co-writing you have to live in that place where let me say this out loud before I know if it's safe to say it or not um and it was safe it was like we all started crying and we all had that like oh my god so it's funny because then we finished the song and um and I know now looking back that I just was not supposed to write that song by myself I was supposed to write that song with Liz and Hillary. Liz is a grandmother, you know, she has two grandchildren. Hillary's got a little baby, and then I got these five, like, all over the place from, you know, my oldest is 30, my youngest is 16. So we're in such different places as moms and as women, and I think it was, we tried to represent that in the- The message of all moms in all phases. Yeah. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for anyone listening, Hillary Lindsay basically wrote every Carrie Underwood song, and Liz Rose wrote so many Taylor Swift songs, and then Lori McKenna has just written all the songs for Faith Hill and Tim McGraw and everybody. So, like, y'all three together are just this powerhouse combination. We're funny. We're we're about each of us are about eight years apart, and um, and we our experience our experiences with marriage and things like that have been very different. Our experiences as moms and as songwriters have been very different but we um we love each other to the core and we respect each other like crazy so we make a really good team and we all do we're all stronger and our weaknesses and our strengths 
match up, but they they're not they don't overlap really very very much. So it's a good team. You all have different positions yeah. on the on the squad. Yeah, yeah. What has marriage taught you? You've been with Jean, your husband. Y'all have known each other or dated since third grade? We've known each other since third grade. We started dating, I guess, around 16. Yeah. We've been married. It would be 31 years or two. I don't know. I got to count. It might be 32 years this what November. Learned, what have you learned from marriage? Um, I have learned that, um, again, I know I keep saying this, but that I totally lucked out <laughs> because I did not know what I was doing. Definitely, when we picked each other, we definitely didn't know what we were doing, 100%. But we, we both, maybe we both, um, but we grew together, you know, because we got married when we were 19, and we, we did grow together. That's important. Not to say that we didn't, like, fight and, like, pull one another, you know, come with me, come with me, like, in the, in the growing. But um, we, we grew together, um, which was lucky. Um, and we, again, we're, we're kind of, we see things pretty different. I'm always telling Jean, like, come to my side where it's like, it's so fun over here. Like everything, <laughs> like, come look, look at the flowers blooming over here. And he's like, you know, Mr. Practical, like Mr. Responsible. And I, I'm not like totally, I don't totally have my head stuck in the clouds, but um, there's a little, we meet on in, in that middle ground. Um, I think our kids have helped us as a couple. I think our kids have taught us more than we've taught our kids, you know, to wow. be honest. That's profound. And uh, I really do. I think, um, I think kids are, are, our little teachers, you know, and, and just about what, you know, what we kept talking about, about living in the moment and all those things is my kids, my kids have taught me that probably more than anybody, but, um, I'm just really lucky. You know, we grew up together. We've, we have known each other since we were little, but at the end of the day, he's just a good guy, you know? So every time we sort of end up in a situation where things are on, it's always cause things are unbalanced. Then one of us will make sure like, okay, we just, we got messed up and you know, over here, you know, not seeing each other enough or not listening to each other enough. And, um, but you have to have a grower. Like you have to both be growers. If you stop growing, you're in trouble. Amen. You both have to want to grow. So y'all have both yeah. grown together. Has he yeah. enjoyed the Nashville life that's come y'all's way? Yeah, he loves it. And not to mention that, not only that, he's so much like people like Jean's so much better than me. Like every time I go anywhere, Where's Gene? I'm like, and sometimes, you know, I, I, usually he comes with me to every like event or something, you know what I mean? Like he, he's a trooper. Like he will sit and listen to people talk about music. It, you know, he's a plumber. So if I had to sit around with a bunch of plumbers and listen to them talk about plumbing, I would probably die. But he listens to the nitty gritty about music. I feel like he loves it. He loves it. And he's not, and he's kind Kind of still like an everyday listener, which I love about him. But he, like, sometimes I'll play him a song that I wrote, and he'll be like, "You know, who you should pitch that too," and he'll start telling. Me. <laughs> he's like a you know closet song plugger, but he he's a trooper. He really is. But he loves everybody in Nashville, and he loves you know two of our kids live there now, so he loves that town. And that's great. Um, and every time I go by myself, yeah, he it's like everyone wanted want to see Gene. <laughs> So what have you learned from 
your kids and especially your kids growing up because I'm at the beginning of motherhood. Mm. Like I have an eight month old and like to hear you say that you started this wild journey in Nashville when you had just like little bitty kids and now you have kids, your youngest is, what'd you say? 16? 16. Yeah. And he your youngest is now, your baby baby is now 16 and then mm -hmm. your oldest is 30. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So what is that experience like? Because I am someone who's so emotional and I'm overanalyzing all the time. I'm always thinking about Sunny and like, what is she going to be when she grows up? Like, how can I help her become herself and like guide yeah. her to be what she wants to be? Like, but to watch your children actually grow in to people and with their own personalities and own dreams and desires, like, what is that like as a mother? Well, it's crazy. I mean, it is wild, but I think, um, you know, my kids, um, well, my daughter, you know, Megan, my daughter, I have one girl. She's, she's 18. She's graduating high school and next week or the week after next, um, with a drive by graduation, you know, drive through graduation. But, um, she's probably my biggest teacher. They all teach me things, but she's probably been my biggest teacher because she's so, she's a thinker like you, like she, she's sensitive and, um, she's a, um, she's a helper and she's a, She's a, she's really perceptive. My two youngest are very, very perceptive. It's really kind of, they've taught me to, to sort of pay more attention to things because I see them do it. But Megan's taught me a lot because we, we are, we are quite different in the way that I'm sort of like a, a homebody, like watch my experiences through other people. And she's sort of like, just for one example, would be a person that, you know, she, she wants to try everything herself and then figure it out and you then do the learn math. by watching other people. You don't have to go through it yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a, like, I'll stay over here and just see how that goes. <laughs> and she's not, so we, but at the beginning of all this, when we figured this out, when she's a young teenager, like we, we would butt heads on that. And I learned through her, like, Oh no, she, this is her, this is her story. This is how she has to experience, like she has to touch everything. And I don't, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, it looks good over here. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, way play it safer. And, um, and so she's taught me that, you know, she's going to be her best self when I leave her to, to figure out who that, what that is. And I can't, you know, that the whole learned helplessness thing, I might've done that a little bit to my kids, like help them too much especially the younger ones versus the older ones we were so young I think we were all like growing up together but um the the little ones there's that there's that I the idea that if I just help them they'll be okay and what I've learned from these two youngest kids is they have to you know if, if I do everything for them if I try to tell her what my experiences were like so learn from mine she's not going to learn the same way. She has to do it herself. And, and it's not going to always be like fun to watch as a mom, but if she doesn't have that experience, it's, it just takes away from what, you know, what her story's going to be. And she's, she's been really patient with me. <laughs> it's really been fun for me to watch the kids move out. Like the older ones are all moved out and Jean has a harder time with it than I do. Um, a lot of FaceTime and we, you know, talk to them a lot, but it's, for me, it's been really fun to watch them sort of do all these things that I wouldn't have had the guts to do at their age. Like I wouldn't have had the guts to move to Nashville when I was 20, you know, to go be a songwriter. But maybe so, got a little confidence from seeing you do it. I mean, I don't know. 
know. I don't, I think that possibly, you know, they know my story is really unique that it doesn't, you know, normally happen the way it did for me. Um, because I don't live there, you know, and, and they knew they had to have, you know, they knew, they knew they had to live there to, you know, have boots on the ground and, you know, getting, get in writing rooms every day and just, and do it that way. But it, it's been, uh, it's been really fun. I don't, I know I'm not being really like very clear about the way they, they have taught me, but they really have. I think that's one of the greatest gifts of parenthood is watching your kids teach you about life. What you said, you don't live in Nashville and you never have. Has it, was it important to you to stay in Boston? Well, I ended up staying in Boston just because it wasn't going to be convenient for anybody else to move there with me. You know what I mean? It would have been hard on the kids. They were all at different ages in school. It would have been hard on my husband because his whole family. So it would have been hard on me because my whole family, you know, we can walk to my dad's house. He lives right up the road. And and my brother, one of my brothers lives right up the road. We're, we're pretty tight family. My, my siblings are all really close. Um, so it never really would. I, and I also didn't want the pressure of like, hey, everybody do what I want to do, you know? Um, right, with your family. Yeah, and sort of make everybody live my dream. I didn't want to do that to them. But um, I will say it's been beneficial for me because up until this, you know, quarantine, I, I have not been, I'm not an everyday writer. And I think that I need that space in my brain. Um, so I write, you know, two, two days a week, or I write when I'm in Nashville, but for the most part, you know, there's a lot of thinking space for, for songs in my head versus just trying to get them out every day. So like Stealing Kisses, the first song that Faith Hill recorded of yours and put out as a single, was that the first one? Yes. Yeah. And then a lot of your songs, there's so much depth and sometimes there's a lot of pain and angst in them. Where does that come from? I think um, it's funny as over the years, what I've realized is I am drawn to those songs. I've always liked sad songs, even when I was like a kid. I, you know, I always listen to song, singer songwriters and I have two brothers that are songwriters and I, I always liked the sadder things that I felt like brought up an emotion that I didn't know was in there type of deal, you know, but I realized also as I went through the years that my voice is also kind of sad. <laughs> I don't have like a fun, like I can't sing a party song. I can't like sing happy birthday. It doesn't sound good. It sounds depressing. Like my voice, the tone of my voice, the tone of my singing voice is, is, it leans in that darker direction. So I think a lot of it has to do, and I've always said this, like my deficiencies have formed my style more than my abilities have. Oh, and I think that tone, that sadder tone that, that where my voice sits lends itself to those sadder things. Not to say that I don't love, <laughs> I do love a happy song. I mean, I think Humble and God's pretty happy you know what I mean like it but but, but my voice lends, yeah it lends itself and it's funny because when I first started singing out of the house it would be like it would be like journalists would describe it as an emotional voice and mostly it was just fear <laughs> it's, it sounds like it sounds like fear but I think my voice lends itself to those type of songs too how do you deal with fear like when you feel scared shitless how do you push through it um, well, I've been, um, through enough experiences where 
when I push through it, I, I've been rewarded, you know, because my confidence level as an artist was always, you know, on shaky ground, but I, I had a, a need to do this. So I always did it when, when before faith and before my introduction to Nashville, when I had this little sort of pocket up here in in Boston, we have a really like nurturing community of artists in Boston. There's a lot of great places to play and everyone that I met coming up in this, in this community of musicians here were super loving and just, you know, there for one another. And, um, and so, but my, my confidence is always a bit of an issue, but every time a door opened and instead of being like, I'm not ready for that. It's, instead of just stopping myself and not doing it, every time I walked through, there was something on the other side of it that I didn't even know was possible. And I had like, so now enough of that goes by. And I think I deal with fear a little better because I know that I have really been rewarded for it, for facing it and sort of just like sucking it up and, and going through. And I also like, I don't think, I think I'm lucky in the way that I knew really early on that whole space thing. Like if you take, if you take the regret out of your head of worrying about everything that you did that you weren't ready for, it'll just like make your heart really heavy. So you just have to think in that moment, I wasn't ready for that maybe. And I shouldn't have done that maybe just yet, but it got me here. So, you know, I just kept that pattern. I just kept that pattern. I love that. When the doors open, the opportunities show up, you kind of have to take them. Like you have to just go for it, even if you're not ready and then just learn it as you go and just like figure it out. In most cases, if you're not ready, you will catch up. You know, if you will, you will catch up. Oh yeah. That's great. I mean like, like motherhood, right? It's like I had my oldest when I was 19, but if I had thought about it, I would have been like, this is a terrible idea, (laughs) but I have Brian, like my husband, like we are, he's, I've been our whole life. Like, this is like, if we, you know what I mean? If you, if you're too careful, you, you don't end up with the, these blessings that nobody would think about parenthood and like on paper, it makes zero sense. <laughs> we can't think about these things. We just have to do them. And then we are we are greeted with so much love. Um I love that, that if we, you're too careful, you miss the blessings. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What is the theme of Balladeer? Like what is the story behind like what is the vibe of this album? What are you hoping people gather from it? What were you feeling when you wrote it? Yeah, so the the record, it's funny because I I think this happens every time, but it is pretty personal. (laughs) I'm very self-absorbed as an artist. Um, It is pretty pretty personal, but um, it's it's kind of family-oriented, just like everything else that I'm drawn to. Um, You know, I I get to write a lot of songs, and at the end of the day, when I think about the ones that I want to put together in a set or the ones that I want to play every night, they always end up being the ones that, you know, get, make me emotional too. And, um, and hopefully translate to other people that way. But, um, the, the, the theme is sort of, it's very, you know, family oriented. It's sort of 
pushes in a little bit of a, there's a, a lot of stories about women on there. The Balladeer is a, a story song. It's about a, a woman. And um, there's a song on there called This Town is a Woman that sort of like leans. Oh, what's that about? It's just about, how I, well, it's funny because it was, it started with a conversation I had with Dave Cobb who ended up, he's produced the last three records I made and I love working with him, but he called me one day and he was working on this project of all women singing these songs together. And this was before the high women. Um, it was a couple of years ago and we were just having a conversation with it about it, about women and how we sing. We tend to sing the songs that we need to hear, but also we tend to sing the tough songs a little bit, you know, the, and even going back in history, you know, with, with country music and your Loretta Lynn's and your Tammy Wynette's, it would sing about stuff that, um, that you wouldn't necessarily think, you know, could be talked about in a song. And then there yeah. they were and, and, and they're classics, you know, like yeah. we still yeah. go back to those songs. And, um, and I got off the phone with him and I was thinking about Nashville and I think there was something at the time about storms and how they're named after women or certain storms have women names. And, uh, and I thought, well, if Nashville was a, if it was a gender, it would be a woman. For sure. And so that's where it could sort of came from. Um, but yeah, the records, it sounds a lot like the last two, you know, it sounds like a Dave Cobb, Laurie McKenna record. And I love making records with him. I just love the process. We cut everything live and I really can't do anything any other way. Or I ended up, I end up just hating myself. Like I have to just play, I can't do click tracks and all those things. Like he just, um, I just trust him so much as a producer and a musician and I love that. I've been loving that process. So he does all Michael's a thousand horses truckers too. Oh. And they just love the process. Davis, he's a special guy. He's he, he really he, is. And there's like a group of artists that really click with him too. It's the group mm -hmm. like yourself who want that live sound, who want that yeah. real rawness to it. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about. He does remind me of one of my brothers. Like he, when I first met him, I immediately thought like he could be, I have four brothers. I was like, he could be like my fifth brother. Like he just reminds me of family. But I will say I, in the beginning, I know why I trust him now, but I trusted him right away. And I don't know why I trusted him, but, but, I, but I was thankfully right. But when he says we got it, I know we got it. You know, like I know it's good if he says, yeah, that's good. <laughs> when he says we got it, you got it. Yeah. Like when he lets you know that you've got, got the take, it's done. You're like, okay, that's good. Yeah. That, yeah. And I, and he's always right. And it's funny because sometimes, you know, cause I always do there's something wrong every time. You know what I mean? Like I, in a, uh, one of my performances, is, it, the perfection is not on the table, but when it, it feels right or something, he always, um, he can always tell. And it always amazes me because he's playing along the whole time. Like I'm always amazed that he knows Every, he can just hold it all in his head at the same time. It's another example of so he is right there. He's not, you know, when you're making a record with Dave, he's not doing something else at the same time. You know what I mean? His his attention is right there, and to have that much focus on something is kind of amazing. Truly, yeah. So, what is success to you, Lori? What does success look like to you? So for me, I think it's like you talked about earlier. It's like being able to have everything you love um, 
And it does like like the number game will get you. It doesn't have to be as big or as small as you thought it was. Like you know, I know a lot of times people think of their success in a in the format of of how many people heard the song and or how many people know who I am or how many likes on Instagram or whatever the 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 dial is. But to me, it's like if you can do everything that you love and have everything as far as like meeting people that you love, you know, for us to be able to, for me to be able to just fly to Nashville as much as I've been able to and be part of that community as a writer and still be able to raise my kids here and feel like I'm still such a big part of all their lives, then that you know, I feel very successful in that way. Like, I feel like I've been certainly blessed, but I think success is just a matter of being in yourself and being thankful for who you are and how you've been able to manage it all. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I would want to talk to you all day, but I'm going to wrap up so you can go on (laughs) with your life. You probably have other things to do today. Um, Leave your light. I always ask everyone to leave their light. What, and this is a very broad question, what do you want people to know? Oh, what do I want people to know? Um, I want people to know. That's a great question. That's a really good question. I, I want people to know what people say. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good question. Um, in general, I want people to know that um, I think we complicate things and everything we need is probably right, right in our bodies, you know, right in our hands somehow. And I think that if I could go back and tell my younger self what I would want that person to know, it would be like, it's all going to be okay and don't complicate it. Um, I wish I could tell my kids that, you know, and have them believe me, which is <laughs> impossible. But um yeah, I mean, it, there's so it, it, that question, especially now where the theme has is everything is like unknown, you know, in this time of unknowing, in this time of unknowing, what do you want people to know? Um, it's, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is probably that we that love is the most important thing, and um, and we need to focus on that more than anything, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay, one more thing. I forgot to ask you. What was it like riding with Lady Gaga and then you had a song on Star is Born because I'm such a Lady Gaga fan. You write with her? Yeah, she was awesome. She was awesome. You know, I wrote that song with um, Natalie Hemby. I'll always think of you this way. Um, right, remember, I'll always remember us this way. I'll always remember us this way. When she sang that at the end of the Star is Born. Oh, oh God. That song was like so powerful. Well, the, 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 we were there for like a week writing and the one that she sings at the end is the one that Hillary and Aaron Retier and oh, Natalie okay. and Gaga wrote, which I don't remember the name of that know. one, but that's probably the one. Sing this one. The one that she, the always remembers this way is the, um, it's the first time she performs in the stadium, like at his show. And he says, he says, sit down and play that song. And she's like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, the band knows it. And she plays it for the first time, like plays her solo for the first time in front of the big audience. And um, it was great. We went down there for, we went to LA for a week and we just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and wrote songs for that. 
and the script was changing and, but she was a joy. Um, you know, it was really, I think a personal experience for her because she had so much, you know, she's going to act in this thing and, and write, I think most of the songs, if not all of them. Um, and it was a joy. She has a typewriter. She, she like writes for real on a typewriter. Really? Yeah. And, um, and I just remember sitting on the floor and I'm typing away on my computer and Natalie was at the piano and she was a, she was at her typewriter and just me and Hillary sitting on the floor and, you know, she works a lot with Hillary. So watching her work with Hillary was really fun and knowing that she had someone in the room that she trusted so much in Hillary was great. She was, she was wonderful. It was I was thinking it's crazy though, like, cause like, like, and people think of you this way too. It's like when you think of this artist and this person who is presenting all this music and it's bigger than life. And then like to be in a moment that's so intimate and vulnerable where you're actually just like chipping away at something and you're seeing someone in just their vulnerable self, like not many people see Lady Gaga like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I never thought of that. I mean, we're lucky that when we write with, you know, artists like that, I've seen it, you know, many, many times. And I think just from being around Tim and Faith so much and, um, you know, they really are themselves. Um, you know, when, especially when, a, when you're writing a song, most artists are really, you know, they know, they, they know to trust songwriters in that way. And, um, and she, Lady Gaga is definitely a songwriter, you know, my biggest thing is I didn't know what to call her. Like we were like, what do we call you? <laughs> How do you refer to her? Stephanie? Um, I didn't call her anything. I think a lot of people call her Stephanie. I just got, I didn't call her anything. I was just like, excuse me, <laughs> ma'am. <laughs> but I, I, but she was sweet. I left early and I left like a day or two early um, than everybody else. And I remember she was talking to her assistant, and I remember hearing her like, "I have to find Laurie. I have to say goodbye to Laurie." Like she, she was really kind, and she like made sure that. She acknowledged it was a crazy process. I'm not going to say the process wasn't crazy, but she did make sure that she acknowledged each one of us for, you know, having a part in that and, and, and bringing it, you know, like just coming down and bringing it, you know, what have you learned about fame? That I would never want it. <laughs> I've been around enough famous people, you know, as I'm sure you have, you know, just being yourself in, in public where it's, it's uh it's not real, you know, it's just it's it is a game and um it's it's difficult. It's hard for people, I think, who are famous. I think it's a tough road. Um and I think some people probably, you know, handle it. I mean, obviously there's probably all different levels of it. But um it sort of sets you up for not being genuine, I I feel like. And the really strong ones have to get through that. It's, why do you um, think that takes it? Why do you think it's hard to be genuine with fame? Well, like if you, um, I think that if you are famous and you've got to go to, well, a going to, you know, a store, for example, would be difficult probably anyway, but even just go out to dinner with your friends, you can't just like roll up, you know, in your t-shirt and you know what I mean? Cause someone's going to take your picture or something like that. And then the whole, th this like life interrupted thing, you know, like, if, if a famous person's having a meal, it's likely someone's going to come up to them and start talking to them. Um, so you always have to be on, I think, and you always have to be giving. You have to be in a state of giving to others. And some would say, well, they deserve, you know, they, they get paid to do, you know, like they, that's the, the price. 
-hmm. but I'm not sure how much how much of that is really evened out you know yeah yeah I think it's a tough road you are amazing. I literally, I get starstruck around you. Michael, like you're his favorite of all. <laughs> like he gets so excited when he sees you and talks to you. He thinks you're just like truly this magical being on this earth, which so many of us feel. Well, and I feel the same way about you guys. I'm so happy to see your face. And I've seen Michael a couple of times over the past year. So I bumped into him. So it's so good to see you and be able to talk. It's so fun. I really appreciate you taking this time to talk to me and talk about your new album, The Balladeer. Cannot wait to hear the full thing. I know it's going to be epic. And I just am grateful for you and your talent and your gifts and your heart that you share with the world because you are one of those artists and songwriters that really impact my personal life. Your music really affects me in a positive way. And I'm grateful for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I love talking to you. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much. Okay, bye. Okay. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.